Hey everyone, this is Jason Elam. We've got a special treat for you on today's episode. Our friend and co-host, Ashley Robbins, has recorded a conversation with a friend of hers that I know you're going to love. So sit back, grab something to drink, and get ready for a great conversation. Here's Ashley. Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I'm Jason Elam. Just kidding. This is Ashley. Jason's out. (laughs) Today, our guest is Erin Wisnett. She's a Southern preacher's daughter, carving her own identity and path in life outside of religion. Erin is currently a social worker, civil rights activist, and tattoo enthusiast with a love-all attitude. Welcome, Erin. Hi! (laughs) It's so good to have you on. Thank you so much for taking time out. I know. I was super excited when you approached me the first time. I was like, that's... Oh, that that's just perfect. I'm so excited. Like I've had like giddy little feelings all day long, like little hippos running in my tummy. It's like kind of fangirling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. So have you ever been on a podcast before or? No, I love podcasts, honestly. Like I'm more into like the true crime kind of stuff, but I've kind of like ventured out a little bit lately just because like that does take a toll on you. And I was super paranoid, um, like leaving work and stuff. And that kind of decided it was probably time to take a break. Join <laughs> the club. I've had to take a backseat to the true crime world as well. I love them. I really do. But man, my mental health is not capable <laughs> to watch that all the time. I know it. Okay. So Jason normally starts the pod by asking, you know, did you grow up in an atmosphere of faith? Uh, what was it like? Like your religious experience, what was it like? So mine, I feel like is like a very much different perspective than a lot of people just because my father is a preacher and still is. And so basically from the womb to where I am now, I've grown up going to church, like any single time doors were open. It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. It was Sunday service not service. It didn't matter if it was Wednesday night service, if there was an event going on, didn't matter what age. I was always there helping out, not because I wanted to mainly, but because I had to pretty much. It was like a big argument all the time, whether or not, you know, oh, do I have to go to this one? This is like for the preschoolers, but then I'd be handing out snacks, doing stuff. And so my perspective being a preacher's kid and everything with like religion is mainly concised of seeing how it affects other people and their different walks of life because I know a lot more about people in the church than people of the church know about people in the church, if that makes any sense. Can you elaborate on that a little bit or expand on that? Yeah, no, I was going to a little bit. So like any like any of the dirt, any of like the stuff that they would kind of like shuffle underneath the rug, I would always hear about it because my dad was the preacher and I was always nearby for those conversations. And so that really puts a different perspective on, you know, Christians as a whole growing up in church and wanting to believe all these people are these wonderful, perfect baby angels that come every Sunday, every Wednesday helping out. And then you're also in the back of your head thinking of this thing that you ever heard about them, like, oh, they should not be around children. Oh, damn. Uh, That's probably not the best thing. Um, So it's it's just, it's very weird because it's been conflicting my whole life. Yeah, that's a lot to carry as a child too. Yeah. Just had, did did your dad always like ever since you were literally born do this or did he do something before that? Uh yeah, no, he's always been a preacher. He was a preacher when he met my mom. Um, okay. They met 
I think they dated maybe a whole year before they got married. Um, at actually church camp. Um, I believe it was Maywood Christian camp for all my Maywood peeps oh. out there represent. Um, wow. it was either Maywood, Nayati or backwoods. I don't remember which one. It was one of those three. So those are the ones I grew up going to, um, literally every single summer I was at maybe like a whole month worth of church camp had to have been. Um, wow. and so he was already a preacher. He went to Faulkner to be a preacher. Faulkner University in Montgomery, Alabama, and just kind of went on the path where met, married my mom. And then that's kind of, I guess, where like the main religion started, even though my mom's side of the family as well is also super religious with the Church of Christ denomination. Okay. Yeah. Man, that's, that's so much to carry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So did they expect you to also find a spouse at a Christian type camp like that, like Maywood or Nayati? Um, I think it was mainly just as long as they were Church of Christ, they didn't care. It's funny yeah. now since they're like divorced and everything and remarried. Yeah. And that's, I've got stories about that we'll probably get into later that sure, involves yeah. the church with all of that because that was so messy. Um, Absolutely. But going back to that, <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> going back to it, I actually did find a guy in the Church of Christ and married him. And so um, that marriage only lasted about seven months and we got divorced. And um, there's like a lot of, you know, conflicting things of going on with that as well. Because like I did what I was supposed to do and it still didn't end up the way that everyone said it should. Um, I feel like so mainly, sad. yeah, I feel like mainly it was me because I had kind of started to get to the point. I got married in March of 2020. So like prime time at epidemic as well oh my <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like I did all of that and I was starting to outgrow I would guess say yeah I started to outgrow like my faith and my religion just for the different things that would happen and mainly some of that was to do with the fact that I went to school for social work and seeing how inclusive and accepting and loving and non-judgmental that that field is should be because we accept all different types of people. You could be, you know, identify as trans, LBGTQ plus community. Um, you could be a drug addict, you know, whatever. There's always going to be a social worker on the side to be there to help that person, regardless of, you know, what they faced in life. And seeing how a career that is no religion affiliated whatsoever actually has better morals than the church itself was kind of something that became a turning point for me to start digging deeper into what is it that is keeping me here? And now what is it that has pushed me away to the point where I don't even practice Christianity or go to church anymore? I gotcha. Yeah, I want to pump the brakes for a second and ask you, what made you want to pursue social work? Was it because you kind of peered into that field and you saw you know, the non-judgmental, the like all-inclusive, all-loving atmosphere or? Yeah. So um, social work, I've always wanted to do a career that ended up helping other people. I always really liked being with people. It may have just been my upbringing, uh, being surrounded by people constantly, but like I love, I'm a big people person. I am accepting again of all people. I just like love people. I don't care what your background is, what you do, you know, political preferences, whatever. I just like being around people and having a good time. 
And so the fact that you can be in those environments and we're also judgment free and you can have these open ended conversations where nobody's judging you on what you're saying. Now, if there's something, you know, might be a little bit controversial or um, a little judgmental, we actually catch that within each other in the field and we talk about it like, hey, so I see that there's a bias here that you have. Let's talk about these experiences that have led up to this bias and how we can kind of help fix the biases that's within, you know, your own personal preference. Because bias happen along all cultures, all groups of people. Um, that's just how it is. It's how we're raised just to come up in, of an upbringing and think, oh, this person is da-da-da-da-da. Oh, well, you know, because that person does this, then that means they're bad. You know, it's just little things like that. So seeing you know, those types of people being able to just speak freely and be open and welcome into an environment that is the way social work should be is something that like just really drew me in. I love it because that's like the person I felt like I was and the fact that I found a career that mimicked or mirrored my personality and something that I love doing uh, was just a huge bonus on top of it. I love that. That's beautiful. I love that there's so much accountability because I, I really didn't foresee that somehow in social work, yeah. but that's really refreshing and surprising. Um, so I, I love that. And oh, yeah. I'm really happy that you're in a field where you feel like you have people you can rely on because biases are, I mean, I feel like there's a negative connotation with that word, but it's that not always true. bad mm-hmm. necessarily in my head at least. So, but that's great that you guys can level each other out. Um, coming from all different backgrounds and having different specialties within the whole field of social work. So that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Well, I say that you say the whole field. Um, you have to be careful, too, because I feel like, um, you know, again, with the whole Christianity thing, there are mm-hmm. certain social workers that I've met who definitely weaponize their religion into their practices. Um, but those people typically, I know. Those people typically go and work towards like religious affiliated organizations anyway. So you'll see like a lot of different, yeah, you'll see a lot of ethical, what we call ethical violations um, Mm -hmm. due to some of those religious facilities. Now, some of them, granted, you know, it's not all religious affiliated uh, places, but it does tend to be bigger within that community of social workers as compared to others. And still social workers too have to work constantly on checking yourself along with others. Because if you don't, you know, check yourself first, then where are you to say to help fix this other person's issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did I even say that you were part of the Church of Christ? Did we even say Church of Christ at all? Oh, so I don't think we did. I think I probably said. <laughs> I'm so, so it's because like we know each other. That's true. So knowing Aaron for so long because we grew up together, we grew up within Churches of Christ. You might have said that earlier on. I think knows, I mentioned that my dad was a part of the denomination. Okay, yeah. So that's how you grew up. Yeah. In a conservative type Church of Christ. So no instruments, <laughs> adjacent table roll sign. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to circle back to that for a second. So growing up, a preacher's kid obviously had its negative things. You um, Obviously, there's a lot of pressure for you to be involved in absolutely everything possible. Mm-hmm. You know, you're always there when the doors are open and be involved with literally every youth group activity. So... Is there like a flip side to that? Was there any positivity to come out of it that you use now in your adulthood or that has come in handy at all during your life? Is there anything positive that you drew from being a preacher's child? 
I definitely see that. I think me being a people person and being very outgoing, that was like a big contribution for sure, because I was always around people. So that was something. And then I feel like another positive aspect of it is that there was like a community that you grew up with, not necessarily in, but with as well, because you had all of these people, mainly in the Church of Christ denomination, people don't really like leave. You know, it's like generations of families on families on families, like their parents went to church here and had children and now they're going to this church and they have, you know, it just is a cycle, uh, mainly because no offense, but full offense, Church of Christ is low key a cult. It's not even low key. It's a hundred percent, hundred percent. And you're right. It's an inherited type face. Absolutely. I don't see people walking into a church of Christ in today's time and listening to the whole service and going, this is it. This is the church that I've been looking for. No music at all. Everybody stares at you awkwardly and asks where you're from and who your family is when they don't know you. Are you baptized? (laughs) Yeah. So are are you a part of the baptism? Do you take the Lord's Supper every Sunday? Do you play the piano? (gasps) You're going to hell. I mean, it's really like that. I've had those conversations with my ex-husband. His grandfather died during our relationship and... He went to a Baptist church that had a piano and somebody had brought up that music was bad. It was maybe shy of a week from his death. And so it was a very sensitive topic. And he just blurted it. I was like, so you think my grandfather's going to hell because he had a piano in his church? He just died. (laughs) And then you're just like, oh, you know, it's like little things like that. I mean, isn't it so funny how like small that teeter is to like the fall to hell is just so you could have lived an entire life that was just like you followed all the rules, you know, you, you treated the Bible like it was the, you know, like it was God mm-hmm. and you followed all of the, all of the doctrines and then you follow off just because of one little thing. Yeah, absolutely. How fragile that type of faith system is, is just, it's profound. Well, you see, I feel like a lot of what has to happen in order for people to leave the church and leave the faith is really contributed to a lot of what's going on in like recent events today, especially with the internet. You can sit there and watch a preacher talk and then fact check him on Google as he's speaking. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of these questions that most religious people would try to avoid, you know, like where did God come from? Why are we not practicing the Old Testament when it's all in the same book together? Why is this so many different translations of this one book as compared to other religious books where there's no other translations, really? Mm-hmm. You can keep going on with the list. And it's just interesting to see how much of a decline within the past couple of years that Christianity has seen within mainly like our age group and up until millennials which I'm not really sure from Gen Z or Millennial, following that 96 year, and we kind of flip flop back and forth. But still, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, which scholar is going to tell me I'm Millennial today? <laughs> but I really feel like it's a large portion of that is just how religion relied so much on people just telling other people what to believe. Mm-hmm. So, like the priest and other things, you know. Thinking back, I don't even know the time frame here, honestly, but before the Bible and the printing press, they just read it 
from the documents that they had and the people had to believe what they said was fact because no one else had access to that unless that you were a religious elected official. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of oral um, storytelling and everything from from my understanding of it. That, if you couldn't yeah. write. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, a lot of people back then, they were illiterate. They couldn't even, like read, write, nothing. And so it's the fact now that religion's been threatened because people have all of the information that they need to make their own decisions. Religious leaders kind of see that as a threat because now people are figuring out what religion is on their own without the help of them. Yes, education is the enemy of religion. Absolutely. 100%. So yeah, there's a lot of fact-checking and cancel culture that's really, um, it's almost like <laughs> in a dark sense, it's kind of like the checks and balances. <laughs> Technically, the church operates kind of like a government body anyway, in a lot of ways. Oh. I do want to ask you, tell me about deconstruction for you. So I feel like you've been through it. <laughs> I have a little bit, yeah. Um, mainly, I can like pick up off from where I went. So, you know, went through the whole thing where my new career kind of sparked interest into why why are these people not doing this? That's what they're supposed to do. It's what the Bible's saying. And then we can honestly pick it all the way back to like my parents' divorce is kind of where I think the kickstart really hit. So See, that's what I was going to ask. I don't yeah. really know what the, um, the catalyst for your like, I guess, questioning or mm-hmm. maybe you had been questioning for a while, but you just hadn't really um, pulled the trigger on anything. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go back to where it started. I am about 18, 19 years old, and this is also why I don't really care for Thanksgiving or Christmas anymore is because of the time frame. We're driving back from, I think, my mom's side of Thanksgiving, and my dad turns to me and he's like, hey, your mom and I are getting a divorce. Like, no warning. We're driving back. It's late. I'm tired. We've been traveling all day for the holiday, and it catches me off guard. And then my two foster siblings at the time that were living with me, which were my mom's best friend's children, we don't have contact anymore. They put their hands on my shoulder like they knew already. And so, like, I was crying. They didn't shed a tear. Like, I'm by myself. My little sister, I think, was riding with my mom. And so I get home and my sister hasn't been told what's going on yet. My mom's mad at my dad for telling me like that. And so, you know, it kind of goes and dwindles into like Christmas. So we're sitting at me turning about 18. I think I'm 19 at this point. Um, The church starts to get involved with the divorce, which I find odd because I feel like that's nobody's business, but the two people involved in the marriage. Oh my God. Did it really, (laughs) did it really involve the church too? Yeah, no, right. And so why involve the church? Um, is because, well, I guess we can say it like this, us, <laughs> me, you, and then our friend Macy are all related biblically. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. In the biblical mm-hmm. sense, we're related. And if you don't know what that <laughs> is, just look it up on the internet. Um, and so they got involved, made a whole mess about my mom having an affair with this man who was also um, heavily involved in the church that never happened. And so she and him both go up and talk in front of the whole church like this isn't what happened. I'm not sure what's going on. I walk out because I'm uh, beside myself at this point. So I'm 
covered and then like embarrassment and shame like this shouldn't be happening this is ridiculous why are these a bunch of adults playing high school in a church like at the end of service and I uh, come back and then I think the end of the week or like maybe the next Wednesday um, they tell me my mom and my sister not to come to church because they're all going to be discussing my parents divorce the church is going to talk about it without you present? Yes, me, my mom, and my sister. Is your dad there? or it's... Yeah, my dad's there. My foster siblings are there. Okay. Um, but me, my mom, and my sister couldn't for some reason. And that right there is pretty much when like my top just like blew off. I was furious. So much for all loving <laughs> family. I know, exactly. Um, and I went through this huge long rant, posted on Facebook because I was mad. And then my aunt and my dad started calling me. So my aunt was there for some reason, my mom's sister. They don't talk anymore. Mm-hmm. Trying to talk about, you know, you need to take that off. It looks bad for us. And I'm thinking in my head, well, yeah, it looks pretty bad for you because you're doing it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's your fault. <laughs> You've been exposed. <laughs> so I took it off um, just because I'm a peacekeeper. I'd blow up and do that kind of stuff because I'm petty and uh, passive aggressive. But then I kind of feel bad about it later and I'll fix it. But that right there was kind of like the first tipping point. And then it kind of dwindled into me kind of going back and forth between church whenever I went off to the University of Alabama to study. Um, and then that's when social work was introduced to me. And that's when they kind of started questioning like a little bit more, like, is this really what I want to do? This isn't really something that I'm like excited to go to. I don't feel joy. I'm just angry when I sit in the pew. I just look up and I sing these songs empty headed. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'm just angry because none of it makes any sense. Um, and then that's when we hit into my divorce. Nobody contacted me from the church I was attending. Uh, nobody reached out to me. Nobody called to see if I was okay through any of it. They just coddled him and his family because they were all going to that church and I was the only missing link and nobody seemed to care. Still to this day, nobody from that church has reached out to talk to me to see how I'm doing, to ask to come back to the church. And that's kind of when I was like, you know what, like, screw this. This isn't something that I want to be a part of, you know, Of course, they say, you know, come as you are, but you can't come if you're divorced, if you're gay, if you're trans, if you are an addict, you know, we could go on the list. That's all big no-no. You have to be showing up, you know, in your Sunday best, acting like everything's okay. I'm like greatly trained at crying and then just stopping in an instance because I got people coming over and we need to look like we're this big, happy, perfect family you know, as a preacher's kid, like you can't act like anything's wrong. You're watched underneath a microscope to make sure, you know, don't mess up because then they're going to get onto your dad and he might lose his job. You better not do this because then you're going to get onto your dad and he's going to lose his job. So it's so just, a lot of <laughs> about protecting your dad's image. It still is. Like for your um, sister and you and um, your mother. Yeah, it still is. Um, there's this thing called like, AIM. I think is what it still is. It's something that happens during the summer at Faulkner University in Montgomery, oh, Alabama. Okay. Mm-hmm. My dad was a headlight speaker for it this past year. And my little sister commented on this huge, long rant underneath because they don't have a relationship anymore. And I got her and my mom's friends to all delete their comments underneath it. And he still went and there, nobody had any issues. And it's it's almost just easier to 
go on about acting like everything's fine and okay, rather than to go ahead and expose. Like I've not told my uh, grandparents that I don't attend anymore. I act like I still go to church whenever I visit them. Um, just because trying to open the can of worms that it is, isn't even necessary. It's just not worth it. I don't even really know how to describe it just because growing up in the Bible Belt and like, you know, nowhere Alabama, all you have is religion and then your religious friends and maybe some sports friends from school. And that's it. <laughs> you know, like you're always surrounded by people who believe in God and Jesus, whether they practice for real or not, you know. That is, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I'm like almost speechless because I'm just so sorry on that, I guess, behalf of the church, I guess. <laughs> on not behalf of not the that church. I could defend them in any way. It's not that I'm even associated really with church churches anymore, but that I like was writing down keywords of what you were saying and just looking at them like it's just... <sighs> That's such a heavy thing to shoulder at 18, 19, when your whole world is already changing as is. And the amount of sexism, I'm sorry, I'm just going to call it, I'm going to call it what it is. (laughs) Look, don't even get me started on that. I will go on a rant for so long. Because you're saying you, okay, so they coddled your ex-husband after the divorce. And then now, even to this day, it's about protecting your father's image. And it's Absolutely. like, but what about the girls that are in the backs that got trampled over? The, the girls that were left behind, you know? You see, I will say the Church of Christ and maybe just Christianity as a whole. I can't speak on behalf of everybody because I haven't lived their experiences. Of course. But I will be generalist here when I say that like Church of Christ is like the largest male chauvinist I've ever met in my life. Really? Absolutely. I've never experienced more of a like women need to sit down, shut up and just be seen and not heard. They even use that Bible verse in the New Testament where it's talking about marriage. It says, you know, women are supposed to be submissive to their husbands, but they don't realize and read the bottom half of the passage where it says that men are supposed to love women like Jesus loved the church. And so a lot of that submission that comes from that is not necessarily saying, well, you know, my husband told me I need to do this, 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 and this, and I can't have any say so. And then the religion of Christianity that we grew up in, it was very much so that women weren't allowed to speak at all in church. And once you get past the fifth grade, a woman can't teach you anymore because that's a sin. Like, I don't understand where any of this comes from. There's legit with female prophets in the Bible. People, we don't talk about know, those. We don't talk about those. those yeah, I mean, like, it's <laughs> not like I a know. woman birthed Jesus or anything. It's not like they found the tomb empty. It's, it's not like that happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's just a lot of those different types of things, too, as well, um, that people really don't realize, you know, just going to church normally coming in again from my perspective is seeing how they care more about potential leaders of the church than the women who are in the background actually running the show. Yes, absolutely. The The working hands are the women I've seen, I feel. Um, so tell me, okay, so we're, we're starting to get into oppression in the church mm-hmm. now. And so and I just want to know if you can expand on that in any way, anything that you saw behind closed doors, because to the rest of us, you know, it's all 
happy-go-lucky and smiling and stuff, but you're hearing all the shit behind the closed curtain. So was there any other form of oppression that you saw growing up in this kind of atmosphere or was it just mainly a lot of like sexism? I find it's mainly a lot of sexism unless you really want to talk about like oppressing within like the LBGTQ plus community. We can take um, it there. You can take it outside yeah. of the church that you grew up in. Like just knowing that type of atmosphere of faith where it's conservative, evangelical, Southern kind of roots. You can take it wherever you want with that, whether it's racism or transphobia, any of that stuff. Yeah. So um, I feel like pretty much all the phobias um, come from the church. Uh because I mean, just invented fear. It's fine. It's, I mean, yeah, they're gonna tell you're going to hell unless you worship Sky Daddy. Like this is what it is. <laughs> you know, you know like Daddy that. God. <laughs> like you know, I mean, that's literally what it is. Like I've seen so many conversations where, like, oh well, they were they're Jews. They were the religion that we branched off of because we believed in Jesus already, and they they're still waiting. Um, now the people say that like they're going to hell and you're looking at them like they still worship the same God that you do. It's just the matter of the fact that they don't believe that Jesus has come yet. That makes y'all different. Like that's the whole nother issue in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because all these religions are so similar and they like, I won't say they, I'll say Christianity likes to branch itself aside and say like, they're the only ones that are right. No other religion doesn't matter if they branched off from it. Doesn't matter if it's completely different, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, where they have to be the ones ultimately in control. And I see a lot of that starting in the church, starting from like very young ages, where the little boys are told, like, "Hey, um, go ahead and start picking yourself out a wife because she's probably in here." And then the little girls are sitting here and they romanticize the idea of getting married young and having children and making the church grow rather than the basis of it being a loving relationship with help, healthy mechanisms, whether it be emotional, physical, mental, within that relationship that need to be there. I mean, I can remember growing up in the Bible world as well, going to this, is even having religious-based sex education, which is just abstinence. That's all yeah. they tell you. It's like, if he sticks it in, you're going to hell before marriage. Yeah. That's and it's it. your fault. And it's your it's, fault. Oh, absolutely. It's your fault as a girl. Um, it's not the fact that he pressured you or he told you that he wasn't going to put it in all the way or he told you <laughs> this. Um, it's little things like that. And I'm in the sixth grade, I think, at this point when they did that with the whole sex education thing in my little small town school. Um they made the girls, not the guys, just the girls sign abstinent cards to give to their husbands on the wedding day mm. to keep through them the rest of their lives until they get married. Thanks. I totally forgot <laughs> about that. Thanks for unearthing that. You're um, welcome. <laughs> yeah. If you, and if, just for our listeners, if you haven't checked out the episode where my friend Macy, uh, she talks about kissing purity culture goodbye you should definitely check out that one yeah and purity culture was from the church so that's another thing you can add on to oppression too is because that is strictly enforced to the women because boys will be boys 
it doesn't matter what they do before marriage, as long as they're leaders of the church and they lead singing and they pray and they might read a Bible verse here or two, it's fine. And it's just these double standards that don't make any sense to me. Like, why is it the fact that, you know, men are told that they can be anything they want to be in the church and women are told, oh, you can run the baby showers and the parties and the fellowship hall and cook the food and make sure that all the events are running smoothly and run our finances. But we want to be able to make all the rules and control everything because we're men and that's what we're supposed to do. You can cook and clean, but when it comes to translating the Bible and like, you know, understanding all the rules that come from the Bible, we can, we can handle that. You know, you oh, guys take it Go make you, a you pie. Where's <laughs> <laughs> those chicken and dumplings? I thought you were supposed to be done with those about 30 minutes ago. Um, oh, it's Lord. time to eat lunch. Uh, okay. Can I just say when I, we were in church, all I ever thought about was what we were going to eat afterwards. Absolutely. <laughs> when you break those chairs down, if there was not those chicken and dumplings sitting there, I was going to lose it. Miss Susan better make those chicken and dumplings or otherwise I'm not coming to church that day. We had some people in our youth group that came out as yeah. know, bisexual or um, I don't know, all these different things. Uh, you know, they just identify as part of LGBTQIA+. I mean, yeah, I, I'm part of that community as well. Um, I'm bisexual. And Hell so yeah. Join the bisexuals. Shave off your eyebrows. <laughs> I have done that before. It was unintentional, but it was a vibe. Um, so I could draw my eyebrows however I wanted to. That's um, perfect. Right? It was theater days. It was an accident. Um, anyway, but yeah, um, it's just really interesting too to see how the breakdown of that is with our group specifically. I can look and see and think about every single person we grew up in the youth group together and see, well, that person doesn't go any church anymore. That person doesn't go to church anymore. They're off doing their own thing. This person's not even religious anymore. This person is like way out here and I haven't heard from them in so long. I don't even know if they're alive anymore, but I know they're not going to church, you know, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. really is really our group that I started to notice that because I remember the youth group at I'll say DHCOC all of that youth group that grew up before us are all still very religious to this day so it's a weird shift as to you know like why is it that so many of us left within this time frame of the church happening and honestly I think it might be a stretch but I think it's because of the involvement the church has and the policies that our government runs today is that these people can't separate their political opinions from church and what the Bible actually has to say about all of it. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking to you about that the other day when I was like, hey, do you remember so-and-so's mom? And I sent you the screenshot that she went on the super long rant uh-huh. at this volunteer pastor group that prays over the police. Please talk about that for a moment. <laughs> that whole situation actually just like defines the whole like mentality. I don't understand. So, I mean, I had ended up blocking the woman off Instagram because she went to Instagram to start trying to talk to me about it and I wasn't having any of it. But she shared this post of like our local police station here in Jefferson County, Alabama, showed this like, oh, thank you so much to these wonderful volunteer pastors who come and pray over our victims and pray for our police officers and pray for our officials. They do so much good work for us. Thank you. And it's a picture of all of them standing up smiling, 
they look like they're old retired preachers. Like I don't think one was under the age of 65 in that photo. So they're just sweet little old people that are volunteering their time to go do what they want to do and help people. They're literally just trying to help better their community. Absolutely. It was was such a, a nice gesture. And it was such a nice gesture for them to even like recognize them on a social platform like that. Absolutely. They're okay. Again, I'm going to say they're volunteers. Yes. Volunteers. I have to preface that before going into everything else. So this woman is, uh, went on this huge long rant talking about how it's ridiculous that not one white preacher volunteered for this and she thinks that that was a setup because of politics and the way that the mayor of Birmingham, Alabama is black and she thinks that they're all black, which I think there was like maybe one or two white people in there. There was. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And she's going on about this huge rant talking about how Joe Biden now has done this and it's the fact that there's no white people in here and that makes it racist. And I was like, hold on, pump the brakes. What did I just read? And I'm trying to look to see maybe if they mentioned something about politics. Because I had no idea why this woman was so upset with seeing volunteer pastors, regardless of what they look like. Like, what? And so I commented, I was like, hey, because, you know, again, I said I'm petty and passive aggressive. I was like, hey, um, Jesus doesn't care what color your skin is if you're preaching about him. Also, you're very upset for a reason that shouldn't be. You should be happy somebody's volunteering their time to do this when a lot of people won't. It was really, I think, what I said. And then she responded back to this whole thing of like, well, I don't know how well you think I'm racist now. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't even say anything about that. I just said, hey, let's not focus on that. Um, And she just started again talking about how like, Christianity needs to get back into the community and back into the government and all this other kind of stuff, but in the right way. And so when I tried to ask her about that, and she said, you know what I mean, like all the churches we went to growing up as kids. And after that, I just had to like clock out because our denomination specifically is very white dominated. I don't know a whole lot of Church of Christ from my personal experience that either have a very um, mixed group i vaguely remember and we went to like like nationwide events with multiple churches from all over the country of the u.s and i think i very rarely saw anybody that was like a person of color i'll say probably 10 percent of those big organized functions um like those youth camp things that we did probably about 10 percent or less were I would say maybe even just 5% or less. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You look, if you got on the stage and you looked at the sea of people sitting there, you would see nothing but white shiny faces staring right back at you. Ugh, that's horrifying. <laughs> I know. I, like, I don't know what it is about our religion specifically, but you could go to like a Baptist church next door and they're very, I feel, integrated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, again, going back, you know, we're still like, basically doing like a 180 back to each topic, but oppression as well within that. I feel like people of the Church of Christ denomination also tend to be a little bit more racist than the average Christian. I'm not really sure as to why that is, but I mean, I know for a fact that my grandparents are. She told me the other day that the, this is her words. I don't say this. I feel like this is a terrible thing to say because I had to correct her. Yeah. She said that uh, the Mexicans next door bought land from them, but don't worry, they were clean. And that there's a black colony, no, black settlement down the road from her. Settlement? Settlement. Who said that? I 
I looked at her and she looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, Miss Ma'am, if I ever hear you say that again, you will not be seeing me at Easter dinner next year. Isn't that crazy that we're so far into the future and we still keep like backtracking? Don't want to get me started to what's going on right now. (laughs) It's It's a little bit disheartening. Absolutely it is. And hey, Christians, um, Jesus said and God said that life starts at the first breath. So I don't want to hear none of it. Oof. None of it. Oof. She said it. I did say it. it. If anyone is not catching on to this, we're talking about currently in history, we're having a problem with the Roe v. Wade being, um, what do you call it? Revoked? Overturned. Overturned. That's Mm -hmm. it. So... This is taking away abortion if if it's legal where you are, if it's accessible where you are. Yeah, it's, it's taking, taking away, away um, and other the things fact too. that abortion access is constitutional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and little thing, and that's another thing too as to why like you know Christianity keeps dropping and dropping. Ever since I think the most like faith based, I guess action wise person that we've had in power as the president was George W. Bush. That's kind of where I've seen the most recent stuff reported, you know, Mm because since the internet's been invented, it still does like a lot of what other presidents have done. But he kind of started with like the heightened part of the internet and he was very open about his Christianity. And we also have, you know, separation of state and church. Um, But I don't really feel like that's a thing anymore. Uh, Every single political ad that I have seen this year, if it's Republican or not, has been, in my faith in God, we can do this. Let's keep God in the state of Alabama. (laughs) The accent is spot on, by the way. So I get the twang going. Yeah. And you just can't stop me. Um, But, I mean, you see all of the ads here, and it's just odd to see like how heavily they rely on the fact that the Bible is also a governing source and it's not. Mm-hmm. There's so many instances where, yeah, it says stuff like, I think it's in Romans where it talks about, they always like to say, well, all the governing authority was chosen by God. Well, you're mad who the president is right now. So do you really want to say that anymore? Um, yeah. It's just a lot of hypocrisy with what they try to use. They try to use the Bible to justify their hatred and their phobias I mean, there's a reason now why there's a saying that says there's ain't no hate like Christian love. Oh, um, I've heard that so many times now. Um, And it's again, I say it's a reason because I feel like a lot of people now try way too hard to forcefully evangelize the world to be the way they think it should be. Because, you know, of course, you know, they go back and forth, say, well, we're supposed to evangelize, we're supposed to bring people into religion. Well, Jesus never forced anybody to be forced into Christianity. He always did it with like a loving, opening, welcoming environment, accepting of all people. Well, that's not so much the case anymore. It's Mm -hmm. to the point of extremism where people don't even want to be associated with it anymore. And that's what a lot of people don't seem to realize. And they're like, oh, well, they're leaving because it's their fault. Nobody. (laughs) look in the mirror (laughs) like put accountability towards yourself think about the last time that you looked at somebody and did a random act of kindness think of the last time where you separated yourself from politics and you looked into like your own heart and kind of did like a self-check on yourself to see where you are in life is that the person you want to be viewed as is that the person that you think jesus would be proud of yeah, and a lot of people don't do that anymore. Just look at look at a person that's just hurting. 
and just see them for who they are, you know, like not see, you know, this person looks different than me, sounds different than me, acts different than me. If they Mm -hmm. can just look at someone and see a person hurting or a person loving or a person, you know, being passionate about something, if they could just see who people really are without an agenda behind it, I think that would clear up a lot. (laughs) It really would though, because I sit here and think now that you said that, like talking, talking about seeing people for who they are in their pain, not necessarily what caused the pain, but in their pain. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm a much better person now than I ever was as a Christian. I can think back to all these times where I was so judgmental of people and I said things that I really regret and I wish I never would have now because I was told that's what the reality was because, you know, that is what the Bible told me. That's what I was taught to say. And it's really just like disheartening to think that I had so much judgment towards people who weren't doing exactly what I was doing. Just looking at them and thinking, oh, well, you do this. I guess that means I'm going to heaven and you're not. Um, Oh, you're going to kill yourself. Well, that's your problem. Have fun in hell. But these are actual things I thought because that's what I was taught. And I didn't know any better as a child. The indoctrination starts so early in the Church of Christ where you believe that the only thing that is 100% right is where you are sitting here looking at whoever's talking to you. And that they are the mouthpiece of God. That person on the stage speaking is the mouthpiece of God. And that's so, it's weird for me to even like verbalize it to you because it was your dad, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, he, my father, it does have, I think, a very large ego. I think you'll learn that more about most evangelical preachers. They have this very big sense of, I control all of these people with the words I'm going to say. Now, it hasn't always been that way. My father did have to do a lot of stuff back when we were with the old church that separated into the new church. That's a, gosh, that's a basket case too. I know. So he actually was told what he had to preach on on certain Sundays. Like I remember when the lion, the witch and the ward. No, it wasn't that one. Not Narnia. What was that other one with like the polar bears? Oh, I know what you're talking about. And but what was that movie? The Golden Compass. That's what it's called. The Golden okay. Compass. 2007. Okay. That's yeah. Yes, that's the right time. My father had to preach a sermon on why that was bad and that people should not go to the movie theater while it was showing because it spoke against God or something like that. So there have been times where like he himself couldn't even really control what was going on. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself, I think should be discussed more because not a, a lot of people don't realize that sometimes, again, with the governing system, the elders, which are the top high honchos of the church, make the ultimate decisions about everything. Now, my dad had a lot more leeway and power to do what he wanted to at the other church because I don't think that ever had elders until like maybe a year or two before I left. Mm -hmm. It was just him and then maybe I think some deacons. I don't know because it goes just like, you know, us normal people, you know, the peasants. Um, And then it goes like to the the people who, right? And then it goes to like the people who like say prayers and lead songs regularly because it's always the same people. And Mm -hmm. then it goes to like the deacons, which are the people who just kind of like handle the money and like help the church out and kind of make decisions. There's then there's like the minister and the youth minister. And then it's the elders and the elders are like the guys, you know what I mean? Like they're the men that make the decisions for the church. They are Congress, if you will. Uh, Absolutely. And they make all the ultimate decisions, whether it be good or bad. Uh, I can think of a couple really interesting ones (laughs) 
where I was like, maybe that shouldn't be the case. Again, going back to like, yeah, that person shouldn't be around children. Why did they not get him arrested for grooming 13 to 14 year old girls? You know what I'm talking about. That's all I'm going to talk about on that topic. The the type of stuff that's bred within uh, religious systems, such as Church of Christ, um, is just jolting, really. And the fact that it's all covered up, too. It's like a conspiracy. We sound fucking crazy. We really do. Um, if you like, people that get out of it sound crazy. I mean, think about ex Mormons. They have stories oh, on stories on stories. Like, I don't even want to get into what their stuff. Listeners, if you are an ex Mormon of sorts and you would be interested in safely expressing your experience, let us know. <laughs> so. Again, with like, yeah, the elders, the head honchos, those types of guys, that also goes into the like the misogyny and like sexism as well, because you can only be a man in any of those positions, any of them. It doesn't matter if, you know, like you've been in this church for X amount of years and you're like, if there's a woman who's been in this church longer than anybody else, she still has to sit there with her mouth shut and can't say anything. Mm -hmm. How does that make any sense? She should be one of the wisest people helping make decisions that she's seen in her entire X amount of years help run the church just as Mm -hmm. much as a man should, you know? Um, I feel like things would be a lot different if they would change leadership positions and stuff like that. Um, But again, a lot of the stuff that's written in this man-made book um, (laughs) definitely, I feel, goes towards and lean towards a demographic of people that is strictly men. I don't really yeah. see it much helping women. I mean, you could be the Proverbs 31 woman or whatever. It's Proverbs 11, Proverbs 31. Mm-hmm. She is dressed in jewels and she is delightful and she loves her children and she's bomb. I don't know what's all in that one. We should make another one that says she is mad. She, <laughs> she is, is coming for the power. She <laughs> is loving. But she is her own. Yeah. That's what we should um, rewrite it as. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that would be ask, cool. Do you still like, um, so you don't identify as Christian, correct? No, not at all. Okay. Do you have anything to do with like, um, like reading your Bible? Did you keep your Bibles? I know you had probably millions in your house. <laughs> I gave away so many Bibles. I cannot even begin to tell you. Like, I think... In grand total, I probably gave away about 10 Bibles. I still have a few I keep at my mom's house. Okay. Um, just to keep the religion metaphorically in her eyes for me, I guess. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Like my beliefs now, I practice green witchcraft. So that's fun. Tell me about that. Green witchcraft? Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Yes, green. So a lot about what we practice, um, and I'm no expert for sure, because I'm still considered like a baby witch, um, still trying to learn the ropes, learn everything about it. But it's an all naturalistic process. So there's herbalists, there's kitchen witches, um, there is like uh, natural healers within the group of people that consider themselves on that side of it. Um, And it's really just connecting with the earth being one and respectful with the earth and using what the earth gives you to just make magic. 
Um, it's very peaceful. Uh, it's a come as you are, no matter what it is. The community is super welcoming and opening. It's helped me so much personally through um, my divorce and trying to get back up on my feet. Um, you know, also too, during that time I was in the hospital for a week and a half. So I had like no community. I just got out and moved back in with my mom and my stepdad and had nobody. So they were like a huge help. And it's kind of funny to see how those types of environments are is what's welcoming people now. Yes. The, the witches will take you in, but the Christians won't have you. We might be being burned by the stake, Adam, but that's because we welcome you and they don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's definitely something that like I'm learning to love. Um, herbalists are super cool. Um, I love listening to them talk about what they do in their craft with the different types of herbs and remedies and everything. Um, but I love nature anyway. So all of the stuff that I'm doing, you know, being respectful, um, paying your respects within, you know, astrology and all that other kind of stuff. And, you know, just the affirmations and meditations and everything that you do along with it is just a very peaceful overall presence in your life. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that you found that community for yourself. You seem to be really thriving in it. I mean, I know we don't talk every day or anything, but I will say you seem a lot more vibrant and working within your own power now. And I think that that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Because they encourage you to be yourself and use your own experiences into your work. So you're literally using yourself and putting that not only back into yourself, but out into the universe as well. And that's really helped too with like a huge like self-love journey. I don't even really know how else to describe it because I don't think I would be in the state that I am mentally, emotionally without this just because of you know again the community itself and the practice as well yeah well okay so I have I have two more questions for you before we wrap up really I just have one actually if you could have changed anything about your experience um spiritually all through your life I mean like now back then any of it would you have changed anything If yes, what would you have changed? See, that was such a loaded question for me. Also, too, it kind of hits me in my feels a little bit because I feel like I really wish I could have changed how neglectful everything was to me as a child from the church's perspective. Because I was always the one giving and no one ever gave anything back to me. I was always there with these people going through some of the worst times of their life. And nobody was there for me during the lowest of my low. It's really seeing like the different dynamics and the double standards that I really wish would change. It's also another thing is I really wish that people would realize that they need to look at themselves and others with a form of compassion rather than judgment. Just because the Bible says you're not supposed to do it and someone does it doesn't mean they're done and gone for the rest of their lives to hell. Like you sit here and you gossip about the woman that's sitting behind you in the pew because her lipstick smeared halfway up her face and nobody's going to tell her because y'all are just mean. Um, or the fact that Barbara Sue down the road had an affair with Jimmy John and now they can't come to church anymore because, you know, all of that. Like none of that should be any topic of like discussion. And so it's just little things like that, I think, is more so of treatment um, than anything Honestly, um, it is a good thing. You know, I was thinking about saying that probably not being religious at all to start with, 
But I feel like my experience really led me to where I am today in my life. I also have the opportunity to know earlier in my life that this isn't something that I want for the rest of mine. So I am kind of grateful about that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I know that that was hard. I really appreciate you being vulnerable. Great discussion. Great. That was great. I love it. Uh, (laughs) So we're going to wrap up now. Um, So how can our listeners connect with you if you have any way for them to connect with you, social media, anything like that. Um, feel free to like just plug in whatever you want here. <laughs> and so my Instagram handle is at Aaron Camille 14. That's E-R-I-N-C-A-M-I-L-L-E-1-4. Facebook, I'm not really on. So don't think about that. My Twitter is a dumpster fire. Uh, if you want to follow me there for all of my just... Is it a lot of shit like, posting or... 3.34 a.m. thoughts. That is... Absolutely it is. Um, let me look at my handle first because I think I changed it recently. It may still be the one thing. I know it's bumper sticker Barbie. Don't ask why. Um, I think it's that funny. so no. cute. <laughs> <laughs> right? Isn't it cute? Because um, uh, So I'll go ahead and preface the name. It is on Twitter also at Erin Camille 14. That's E-R-I-N-C-A-M-I-L-L-E-1-4. Um, but my name on it's Bumper Sticker Barbie. It's in the South. People hate that women have tattoos. One man told me not too long ago when I created the name um, that I look like somebody put bumper stickers on a Corvette. And so I laughed at him in the face and I was like, I guess you can call me Bumper Sticker Barbie then. And (laughs) it's my name on TikTok too. So if you want to follow Bumper Sticker Barbie on TikTok for all of that mess, you can as well. But that's your point. Feel free to message me, though. I love talking about this kind of stuff with people who are curious. I'm a very open person. I'm very raw and real. I don't hold anything back. I promise I won't hurt your feelings. But if I do, let me know. And I'll probably cry, too. Um, <laughs> uh, I think so, I'm, yeah. I'm crying. It's <laughs> fine. We'll work through it together. I cry with some of my clients sometimes. We work through it. It's great. I love that. Yeah. So, like I said, I don't mind answering questions. I don't mind things going into. Don't be mean. I have a really low self esteem sometimes and your things might really no, we hurt won't me. tolerate that. If, <laughs> if, if you're, mean, you're getting... mean to Aaron, I'm coming for you. <laughs> She's going to read the mean comment on air next episode and you're going to be done. Um, yes. <laughs> just Hell yes. Um, I don't care. I'll probably just block you if I'm being honest. We just love be the nice block to me. It's, very, it's kept us very safe over the years. The block button. Yeah. I have so many people blocked. It's not even recommend. <laughs> like It's 11 out of 10. It's like, Yep. I don't know if you can hear that or not. That's me hitting yes. my keyboard. It's like, give it to me now. I'm paying for it. Give it to me. <laughs> uh, well, Erin, thank you so much for joining and being a part of this discussion and answering all my questions, being transparent um, and just genuine and authentic. I always love talking to you. I think you're such a vibrant person. Your energy oh, is so good. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm just honored that you took time to sit with me and, and talk about all this with me. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Thank you guys for listening. And I hope you have a beautiful day, night, wherever you are. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. If you found it meaningful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Join the conversation by following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or joining our listener-exclusive Messy Conversations group on Facebook. 
finally, check out Jason's weekly Pathios column at MessySpirituality.org. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with another new episode.